Hello, hello, and welcome to Happy Place. I'm Fern Cotton, and this is the show where we discover how people find contentment regardless of what they've been through. And today's guest has been through a lot. He is one of the stars of Queer Eye. It is the gorgeous Jonathan Van Ness. During Game of Thrones, I went to the doctor like not long after that for my normal like three month checkup and my numbers were weird. Like I was undetectable, but my T cells were like lower than normal. And he was like, have you done like what anything going on? And I was like, well, like two weeks ago, I went out with my friends and like I kind of like was like up for 36 hours because I think there was maybe could have been a little speed in this kill because it was making me feel like real nasty and sexy. And I haven't felt like that in a little bit. So like I think maybe because that's the thing about like Molly and like other drugs. It's like if you don't know what's in it, you don't know what's in it. Stand by for a very entertaining chat about cats, a lot of cats, as well as some darker times that he talks through about his battles with drugs and his extraordinary campaign. I mean, it's extraordinary to destigmatize those who are HIV positive. Jonathan is a man who has been through a huge amount of change. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. And now, here's the show. So we're in a posh hotel in a very decorative, beautiful lift, heading up to the heady heights. Well, actually, it's not. It's the third floor of this hotel to go and meet someone that I love watching on TV because he brings a lot of joy. And I've loved his recent memoir. It's Jonathan Van Ness. Let's go find his room. Hi. I'm realizing in the last like six months that I really want to like my big macro like post Trump era project like my project for like my 40s is like cat sanctuaries oh and I'm I want, in on it and I want to do cat sanctuaries where like people that are like like I want all the people that like work there to just kind of like be like in the community you know what I mean <sighs> And if they aren't, like, literally in the community, then they have to be, like, a staunch ally. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. And so I just really want to, like, make, like, cat sanctuaries or, like, little micro-economies to, like, help, like, prop up other economies. And, like, maybe, like, people can make, like, cat boots and, like, cat things. Like, so many cat things. And felines mittens have... For kittens. Mittens for kittens. And felines have, like, feline immune virus. There's, like, an FIV. Like, it's, like, kind of so much, I like... I yeah. know this. And so I feel like maybe I, feel like I could do, like, a... There could be, like, an HIV thing that's kind of, like, adjacent to the FIV thing. Honey, like, maybe we could just, like, help cats... I had no ...and people idea. living with HIV all at the same time. We will just literally... That's, like, two of my biggest passions, is, like, helping people that are living with HIV and helping bittens. Oh, and this, I, you've and got this. And it's illegal to have more than four cats in New York City. So at this point, like, in order for me to get my hands on more cats... And, like, put them on Instagram and, like, not have, like, the authorities come for my cats. Mm-hmm. I think I have to have, like, this a sanctuary. Yeah, this is the root yeah, for you. I can't have any more at home. This is such a lovely idea, though. I'm I'm a mad cat person as well. Unless. Right. What if you were so rich that you could get, like, 
all the condos in your building and then each condo could have four cats. You're talking about a cat hotel here. But how are you going to be able to go be between all four or all those condos to like spend time with all of your cats? There's a timeline. There's a schedule. I think I really only to. can have four. I really do think I really... I think Is maybe, that how many you've got now? Yeah. Okay. I've only got two. Can I tell you something? Go four on. Hit me. is so much better than two. Really? Why? <laughs> because, well, there's four and then there's two. So there's actually double okay, the amount so of the two. you've got a pack going yes. on. That's how you can tell you're talking to an addict, honey. Mm-hmm. Is, um, I'm like, a little more. good, honey, but four is more, even more, more, I just, I mean, when they all start scream meowing to be fed in the morning, like when you just have like the, the symphony of like four different distinct cat meows mm-hmm. and you can tell yet. exactly who is like behind you. I'm like, Tildy, uh, <laughs> my mom has got the most problematic name for my torty cat. You want to hear? Go on. So um, her name is Matilda because she's magic, like the like movie Matilda. Got you. Then my mom decided that she's the same color as like Samosa Girl Scout Cookie, so she started calling her Cookie. Mm-hmm. Then that naturally uh, evolved to Cookie Tillerson because that's fucking Rex Tillerson's wife's name. Wow. <laughs> so now, and like my mom doesn't even Tenuous. like my mom doesn't even like like Rex Tillerson, nor is she like a Trump supporter in any way, like mm. at all. But I think just from hearing the news, like from saying Cookie a lot, then she just started saying like Cookie Tillerson. Wow. So now. She's she calls my dang beautiful Matilda Cookie Tillerson. And it's kind of making me want to call her Cookie Tillerson because it's ironic. And it's crazy. <laughs> but she's got a surname now as well. Yeah. It's formal. I One of my cats, I mean, my cats are 18. I've had them since they were six weeks old. And one of them, without fail, it happened this morning, shits in the same spot on my kitchen floor mm. every day. Do they have two litter boxes? Day. No, they're outside. They go in and out. They've got a cat flap. Oh, fuck. But because they're old. I can't believe you got 18. Be I can't believe you yeah. got two cats to be 18 years old that go in and outside. We lost one three years ago who was 23. And goes in and outside. She was lazy. She rarely went out. She had a cat litter tray. But I don't want a cat litter tray. So I keep the cat You know what flap. you should get? Is the litter robot. That's what I have. What is that? The litter robot is this like, it's kind of pricey. She's like $700, but it's this big egg. Right. And it has this little like laser motion detector on it. So when the cat jumps in and makes a poo or a pee and then jumps out, it waits like two minutes and then it rotates. And as it is, this egg thing rotates this, like the, the bottom rotates and then it exposes like a sift and all of the clean litter goes in there and then it keeps rolling. And then there's like a compartment where all the chunks of... Like you have to use clumping litter, but all like the clumps like go into mm. this like pit at the bottom. Nice. And then as it keeps rotating back to the other side, all the clean litter sifts back through and you're left with only clean litter. You really only have to like, I probably wash the inside of it with like vinegar water, like once every other week, just if they have like a wet poo or something, when it turns, sometimes like a little Love bit a of a, yes, yeah, sometimes like it'll get a little bit on the ceiling of the little egg robot thing, but I have <laughs> four of them. Wow. And can I tell you that like. My house, like, for having four cats, not even for having four cats, like, my house does not smell like cats. The litter robot is, like, so fierce. Every once in a while, she gets a little tricky with Wi-Fi, like, because she's like, I don't need this thing on (laughs) Wi-Fi, damn it. Like, I don't need to, like, control you from my home. Can you just be consistent? But I really like it, and you really can't smell it. But do you know that the average life expectancy of an outdoor cat is only four years? So the fact that you have been... How have I got to 18? Yeah. And 20, that's incredible. 23, You've yeah, done wow. amazing. It's because done... I love them so much. But I'm get, I'm saying to my husband, look, I know you might want to go and buy me a nice jumper for Christmas. I want a robot egg litter thing. Yeah, it's really, it's amazing. Okay, I'm doing that. Um, so, but what are you going to, like, so you have two 18-year-old cats now? Yeah. Like, are you, like, 
are we like just totally believing that our cats are going to be like 54 yeah. and that okay we're yeah. not thinking about it yeah we're, we're not just, thinking about it yeah yeah my kids are invested they adore them uh-huh. we're just we're not even thinking we're not even going there well I do the Charlotte's Web approach to cats okay like when one dies I replace it with two because oh, nice. like I can't sit with grief and right. my dad's parents had a black teacup poodle for 35 years named JP because like when one JP would die like they would literally go get another black teacup poodle and name it JP which I always thought was psycho <laughs> until my first black cat died it. at 13 and when, and when Bug the first died I was like oh my god I can't sit with this I can't do this but I can't just replace him with one other little baby black cat. I'm going to get one black cat and then another cat just that I have two. Two cats for the one okay, size shape hole. I'm going to have to get two. But then Bug the Second like tragically fell out of my window in Philadelphia and like oh, God. died in this summer and I was like with the book coming out and everything else that's going on and like this was literally like my kitten that was like assuaging my loss of Bug the First. It like re- brought up like everything that I like didn't deal with like the first time Bug the First oh, died. So then God. I was like oh I'm going to do the totally normal thing and like the same morning I was like, I'm going to the pound. I'm doing the Charlotte's Web rule. I'm getting two. Wow. So now that's why I have four. Uh, not sitting with the grief. No. Well, actually, I do sit with it with my therapist about once a week. She'll be like, you want to talk about bug? And then I'll like talk about it for like 10 minutes and then cry so hard no noise comes out. And it's like, I'm someone who has written about HIV positivity and like sexual compulsivity and like losing like lots of people who I love. The week that bug the second died, the worst week of my life. Mm. Like losing a pet is... Such like, especially if you don't love any people that much. I know it's um, a huge deal. I literally feel like a, a diamond a in my deal. chest when I look at my cats. Like it's like the shape of like a diamond on your ring. I feel like right here, and it is like such a pit of love that yeah. like I can't. I literally look at my cats and I'm like, "You're the best thing ever. I've ever done with my life." I know. They're heavenly. My my mom lost a dog. Maybe it's two years ago now, and my they're both absolutely devastated but my dad especially he can't get a new one for that reason because he just can't he can't I think deal with tell him to get two oh or four God. i think the more yeah, the bigger the more devastated you are over the animal loss mm. and the more you think that you need to sit with it this is my expert opinion okay i think actually it's better to like refuse to acknowledge the grief and just get like double so right. if you have if you have bigger than average grief then you need four if it's just a typical dad. grief, then pay maybe two. Right. Doesn't he want to go to that? What's that dog sled race where all the dogs, the Iditarod or whatever? I don't know that. It's like in Alaska and they take all the dogs and like they run through like the, there's like 18 dogs like pulling the sled. It's like this fierce thing where like maybe your dad should become one of those like Iditarod drivers. Even, like if I mention the dog's name, he breaks down. It's because it is like you say, it's a huge deal. It's like they're your best friend and they're constant omnipresent love without Ugh. condition. No condition. They don't talk without back. condition. When Bug the second passed away unexpectedly, I, when I did go to the pound to adopt Tilda or Matilda and Genevieve, I did hold this like one other like really beautiful, stunning, beautiful baby black cat. And it did make me like shake from like head to toe. Like I like it's the hardest I've ever cried. Like it, it like it was worse than a cry where no noise comes out. All that I could say was too soon. This is oh. too soon. Like I can't I actually do have to mourn a I can't have another I can't have a bug the third or I really think that it's gonna negate the two cat rule because then I'm just gonna be so now that's why I have like a creamy fire point little Siamese like but she's obviously pound cat like adopt don't shop and if you do adopt your cats I do secretly judge you why because <laughs> um, shopping for designer cats is like really problematic because there's like millions of cats oh all so over the sorry world. you're judgmental if you don't adopt yes yeah 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 if you shop oh, yes. for your cats oh, no, I like, got no. mine from a cat mine were from a mine were from a rescue yeah home. yeah and Absolutely. you got you and like, I'm like what is Sorry, I thought you meant the other way around. No, it's lovely to adopt animals. There's so many animals in need. Unless. So many. Unless you do a designer cat and then you can't deal with that designer cat and then you end up adopting that designer cat from a pound. There you go. 
There's That's a way, a way around the rule. There's a way around that. But one. these Savannah cats, I was just learning about that a lot of you know about these Savannah cats. No. They're like half like Bengal, like African cat, half domestic cat. Mm. So, but they're really not meant to be like in houses. But like they're like these designer cats. That, like you're like if you ever like they will like take them for walks sometimes. They're like in, or maybe serval, not Bengal. It's like it's it's like half exotic cat, half domestic cat. And then oh. like they end up having to get rid of them. And there's like this you know all these like it, it's like not you're not meant to do that. There's a lot of really chic. Pound kitties. Mm. I think the cat sanctuary idea for you is the future. Yeah, I was like, how do we get it's, on this? I yeah. can see... No, because I, I didn't... I was trying to trace my thoughts back. But I can see how that would be so wonderful for you. And like we touched on last night briefly, this whole new um, activism role that you've taken on so beautifully, it does seem like this is the very start of your journey. And there is, like... I'm excited to see what you do next. I'm excited to see how many more people, and now we've established cats, you will help in the world. And you must feel very boosted because the thing I've realised over the last few years is, yes, there's happiness and there's joy and, you know, they'll sporadically come in and out of our lives and that's, you know, lovely and we'll embrace it when it happens. But actually to have purpose is something else. And that is definitely a notion that I am you know, grabbing hold of and running with, having purpose to either, it hasn't got to be like to be the most brilliant, helpful person in the world, but just to feel fired up by this is my mission. This is what I want to do. And and how you've gone about this book, it just seems like you are in the deep end, right, I'm here to help. What are we going to do? And that's that must feel quite amazing. I mean, when I was little, I talk about the book, like I wanted to open like a, like a juice bar yoga retreat or like a yoga studio juice bar like salon like franchise like when I was like 12 I was like this is how I'm gonna help people um but the underneath of that was is like I wanted people to have a place to like go that like I just remember thinking like I never want anyone else to like go through like the things that I went through yeah and if I can help other people like that I just thought that it would be like a yoga studio juice bar not like queer I am being like an author and in my podcast and, and like it's interesting how the universe will like unveil new paths when you're not I wasn't thinking about an end goal like I was very much thinking about like just doing the next thing that I was really mm. into and passionate about like I wasn't trying to become an entertainer or any of the things that I've done um I really wanted to be a hairdresser that like never needed to borrow money from their mom again because my mom is such a fucking nightmare if you have to borrow money from her honey <laughs> I'd rather literally starve um comma thank you so much for everything you've done for me mom and thanks for helping me I love you so much you're like really amazing like I love you so much but no it's true I mean I really did want to be like independent and self-sufficient like not need help from my family so to have this opportunity now to have th- that purpose and that like desire when I was little I was like I wanted to just make sure no other people go through this the way I did to get to actually end up having that be my purpose is like fabulous and like really cool but also like when I did hair full time especially when I was like really in my healing like my like you know post Steve like pre-gay or because really like through the beginning of Game of Thrones was really when I was getting like so much of my healing like just really in my therapy and like really getting it together like Sochi on honey I was just really in yeah. my healing Sochi Olympics obviously 2014 obsessed so, yes so um uh, but when when then my purpose was like healing myself in an all encompassing way and like just making sure that like I did really good hair at the salon and making sure that I was building my clientele and making sure that I had like all my I's dotted and T's crossed so that I had access to my medication and to my doctor and that I could thrive and continue to be healthy and that I was always ahead of like you know the deadlines and the timing to keep my insurance relevant and to keep my access to my to aid up the AIDS drugs assistance program. Um, 
to keep like all of those like in tow and, and doing all of that and building my small business and thriving building my small business and I felt really fulfilled then. Yeah. I mean, I feel really fulfilled now. Like, and I love having my purpose, but I think so much of happiness really is wanting what you have mm. and not spending too much time focusing on what you don't. I do, but also on the same coin, like after Gay of Thrones started to become successful, like I did, like I still loved doing hair. And if I was still doing hair full time, like I would be happy and I would be fulfilled because I loved it. But I did think like, man, like, I love Game of Thrones, but I do feel like I have something more to say. Like, I have my podcast. Like, I know I want to, like, I know I want to do more, and I didn't know exactly what it was going to be, but I knew that what I was doing already was enough. Mm. So That's a good starting place, because then you don't have these, like, lofty expectations. Like, I have to do this to feel complete. You just put it out there that you knew you had more to say, and you were willing, I guess, to kind of go with whatever adventure was chucked away, and it happened to be a bloody brilliant one yeah. of ending up working with these great new friends you have on Queer Eye and and therefore like did you realise this was the thing I was thinking when I was reading the book like did you realise at this point where you know you've got the gig you're about to go and do loads of hair on loads of people that are you know usually very humble sweet people that are very helpful to their friends family community did you realise how game changing what you were going to do would be because you know, we can all say, oh, yeah, you know, like when I cut all my hair off, part of me just goes, I'll feel a bit better because I'm getting rid of loads of dead hair. But part of me just wanted to look nicer. But actually, it is game changing. It's a game changing thing. You do feel different about yourself and how it gives you a boost of confidence. And it can be a very game changing situation. And you see that when you watch Queer Eye. You know, there's obviously tons of tears and and just it's almost like people realise their own self-worth throughout that process that you five allow them. Did you realise that walking into it? No. And also, I mean, I just didn't know, like, I had nothing could have ever prepared me for, like, how much the show reaches people and and Mm. how deeply it affects people. But it does kind of make sense to me because, like, even, like, prior to Queer Eye, when I was really in, like, the depths of my depression, like, you know that feeling where if you're, like, really depressed and, like, your house is just, like all fucked up. Like, you haven't opened mail for, like, three months. Like, there is shit everywhere. Like, the litter box is clean, but everything else is just a disaster because you can't, like, keep a, like, dirty litter box because you love your cat too much, but everything else is just all fucked up. Um, But then when you, like, find the wherewithal, like, one day to just, like, clean off your counter or, like, clean off something, like, because that was some of the first steps that I made, like, in, I mean, obviously therapy and more therapy and more therapy really, really, really helped, but that sense of accomplishment of like, let me like organize this or like clean this area. So like, I'm not good at design. Bobby is so good at it. And he has taught me so much. He's incredible. But when I would come into my apartment, when I was really in the thick of my depression and could just find this, the, even when it felt terrible and felt impossible to just clean up my area. When you come back into the area, like there is a visceral reaction that you will find. I'm like, I mean, it's, it's not a <clears throat> shallow thing. Like, like that is, Design, Yes. Like, or when you, and then once you get that done, when you like, if you're like, you know, I really want this like little vase or this like pot or whatever. And then when you like save like, you know, five bucks of your tips, like from each uh, tips, just so you guys listening, that's this thing that we do in America. We're like, you just, like um, and if you ever are in America getting your hair done, if you want to make sure that that hairdresser hates your motherfucking ass, don't Why tip them. Why are we them. so tight? Yeah. So just tip, tip in America or like, we will not like you. Um, and we will think that you're a nightmare. Yeah. Um, full disclosure. We've got that reputation already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So please tip um, mm. if you want 
want a good haircut or hair color if you're getting that done in America. <laughs> hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And, and it doesn't it all equate to what we believe we deserve? And most of the time, if we have let our flat house home go to shit, if we have started eating badly, if we haven't bothered with our appearance for a long period of time, usually it's because we don't believe we deserve it. I th- Yes, but I also even think it could be even a deeper thing. Is like maybe you don't articulate, I don't deserve this, I don't whatever. Like it, it might not be that you're saying it like that to yourself so negatively in your head. What I think a lot of people don't realize is, is that our brains are literal like little pharmacies, right? Like if you like if you, when you look in the mirror, you do not like what you see. Like, you are down on yourself. When you speak negatively to yourself like that, it literally makes your brain make cortisol. It Mm. makes your brain make a stress hormone. That stress hormone gets sent throughout your entire body. Like, it has physical implications. Like, when you see yourself and you do not, like, you do not have self-love. Now, if you practice self-love and look at the exact same image, you can reverse that. Your brain can actually make oxytocin. It can make serotonin. Like, when you engage in self-love, like, you actually can make chemicals in your brain that are actually, like healing and restorative you know it's similar like when you fall in love with someone like when you meet someone that you like your brain makes like five chemicals that are highly addictive chemicals that are biologically in our brains so that you will like this is nature speaking not like current life but like so that you will like knock somebody up make sure that no lion or bear or tiger like eats your cub you know for two years and that's why people say like oh after two years like my partner changed like they don't love me the same and (laughs) really what that is is that after two years ish of being with someone usually that intoxicating mix of chemicals that that same person once made it dissipates like your brain doesn't work the same it doesn't make the same amount of chemicals so it requires more of effort it requires more connection you have to like look at your partner like face to face like Stan Tacken is who I learned this from he's this incredible uh, doctor who invented like pact therapy which is the psychobiological approach to couples therapy I've had him on my podcast twice I love him but he says, you know, as those chemicals, the the high intensity of these chemicals, when we first meet someone, it's completely natural for them to dissipate over years. But you can work on them with your partner and you can restore like that deep integrated love that you felt at the beginning and won't have the same intensity necessarily every time. But you can have like long standing, like secure functioning relationships. So that's all to say with, you know, how that relates to like hair, skin clothes, fashion, food, culture. It's like when you experience feeling good in the clothes that you're wearing, right? Like you'll you'll see yourself and like that will make your brain make some chemicals. You're like, oh, I feel kind of good. It's not that it's not that other people are loving the way you look so much. It's that like actions speak louder than words. And in that action, you're saying to yourself, I value my own time enough to slow down. Yes. See what I feel good in. See what I like. And see for me, like I don't get, like, a ton of joy out of, like, decorating. 
Like, it's not my thing. Like, yeah. I just want, like, a house that works. Like, going to buy furniture. And, like, every time I go to buy furniture, I'm like, oh, my God, it takes how long to get it here? Like, oh, no, you gotta wait, like, six so weeks. Long, like, why can't weeks. I just take this one, please? I will carry oh, no. this one out myself. Like, I'm it just stresses me out. I'm at the moment. And they're coming in December. Yeah, I'm like, excruciating. I, I, it's so, like, and other people love that. Like, other yeah. people love that problem-solving thing. So, it's like, so whatever your medium is that you know, gives you like some, that sense of like, oh, like I'm loving this. I'm passionate about this. Like I've always loved doing hair. Yeah. I've always loved playing with skincare. Like I've always loved masks. I've always like wanted to do manis and petties on people and paint nails and style hair. Like since I was two, three years old, that's just always been like how I kind of wanted to get my creativity on. Um, but whatever it is for you, there is, there is a real tangible feeling to like to doing these things, to, mm. to feeling better. Like, and even though I'm not like that inspired by like decorating and stuff, I've learned so much from Bobby. Like when I do find a painting or like something that I like that I'll get when I like get the thing, I'm like, Oh, I like it. And then I get it. And then I like put it in my house. Every time I see it, I get a little like, mm. ah, like I did that. And I like that. It's like, a, it's like, it's the same thing. So there really is value, I think, but it's, it's not, I do think that there's too much emphasis on how other people perceive it. Yeah. It's not that. It's about... It's, it's, it's about an inside job. you. It's an inside yeah. job. And it is about that self-love and it is about knowing you're worth it. And like you say, slowing down to take that time to learn to love yourself. It's hard for all of us to look in the mirror and go, even I like you. Because we'll all beat ourselves up about the past, worry about what we're capable of or not capable of in the future. I do this to myself all the time. And just to stop and go... I'm all right. I'm okay. I like myself. And it's also quite an un-British thing to admit that you like yourself, which I think is dangerous for many people to be able to take a compliment. You know, we can be very self-deprecating, but to be able to celebrate ourselves and like ourselves. So then we can be of service to other people, help those around us because we're okay. We're grounded in that self-acceptance. And I'm yeah. wondering for you throughout your your journey in the book, there, there's this sort of undulating experience for you where it's it's self-destructive then you seem to balance out a bit and then there's some trauma or whatever and and your self-acceptance seems to be up and down and then it seemed like there was a moment I don't know when or what it was for you but where you you became the person you are today that inspires others with your self-acceptance and your self-love and that's why everybody is so attracted to to how you go about your business is that we can all see you're a hundred percent authentic and you without having to dull down your own light be any different because of outside noise you're just you how did you get to that point and, and was there a moment a, a flip a, a switch for you it didn't happen in one foul swoop it was basically me being stripped of everything that I cared about and loved, like losing my stepdad. Then Sergey left me. Then I, you know, found out I was HIV positive. And when I found that out, it was kind of like, you know, like the big bad wolf under my bed had like gotten me. And my dad actually said to me when he found out, he was like, your life is over. You need to move home. And I think what would be best is if you worked in, like, the basement of the newspaper, like, that my family has, and, like, work in circulation. Like, you'll never get health insurance. Like, your life is over, like, as you know it. And I had, like, some really obviously dark time there, like, having people that I looked up to, like, not know how to navigate this and really treat it with a lot of, um... Because there's a lot of when you when you get HIV, there's a lot of shaming that people give you. When it's like, why didn't you this? Why didn't you that? Why didn't, there's a lot of just shaming and second guessing that like isn't 
you know, very helpful. So once I lost the idea of my health, even though my health is like fabulous and I didn't lose my health, I just had everyone that I loved and trusted tell me that I had, except for when I met the doctor, which then I was like, because the first thing I say to the doctor in the book, and this is such a true story, it's like, can I live to be 75? And she was like, she laughed and she's like, I'll keep you alive long enough to die of a heart attack or cancer like everybody Mm. else. And the life expectancy of someone, then she shared this with me from the time you're diagnosed with HIV, and this was in 2012, so I don't know if it's like gotten better, but it's 50 to 75 years. Mm. So even if you're born with HIV, you're going to have a very long, healthy life. Mm. Um, And I think if the last 15 years are any indication of how long we're coming in the treatment of HIV, I would say in my lifetime it's going to be cured. Yeah. Um, So there's every reason to hope and, you know, to hold on, but... Um, I think when I like kind of lost everything, like I, cause what was so unfair about my relationship with Sergey is that like, I put my healing and my recovery and like my self-worth at, at his feet. Mm-hmm. Like I laid like the, the totality of my ability to want to live or not was like based on if he wanted to be with me or not. But that's such a good example of like two fragmented circles. Don't make like a circular functioning relationship. Cause even though he was probably like more formed and integrated as a person than I was. I just like wasn't ready and that was never going to be fair for him and it was never yeah. going to work like in that I think way. So many people end up in relationships like that where their self-worth is only accounted for by how the other person treats them or how they embrace them rather than it being about how you feel about yourself. And what I find so fascinating is like you say, you were stripped of everything that you knew and everything that you had previously defined yourself as in those moments, and a lot of people I've interviewed who have been, you know, mavericks in their own field have had this moment where you've got two choices and one is to give up and to go, right, I will go and work in the basement of the family newspaper and do and, and listen to all this exterior noise or you find your feet somehow and you get more resilient and you and then you have a wonderful life or, or a different path than you'd expected where did that strength come from? Because that's at times, you know, an insurmountable amount of strength to, to turn something that at the time felt catastrophic into, I'm going to be fine. Well, that didn't happen in like one moment. And that was like a lot of risks and chances and hoping that my faith was right and that my instinct was correct. Um, but I didn't know. And it was really scary. I mean, I think all of that time when I moved back to L.A., for the first couple of years was just like, Oh, like yeah. I, you know, it's interesting that like gay of Thrones came around when it did in my relation to like, I mean, doing gay of Thrones was something that kind of got birthed in my, in my chair when I was doing, um, Aaron Gibson, who was the creator of gay of Thrones hair. Like it was either the first time I did her hair or the second time I did her hair after coming back to Los Angeles. But either way that would have happened in like December of 12 or January of 13. And I was still really struggling. Mm. Um, I was not one of those people with drugs where, like, I had one final really horrific relapse and then I never did it again. I've always been, like, a harm reduction queen. And my rule for the last, like, several years has been, like, I don't do, like, you know, obviously no amphetamines. Like, nothing that I don't, can't guarantee what's in it. So it's, like, if there is, like, you know, if someone's doing Molly or something, there is, and I talk about this in the book, like, wanting to fit in, wanting to be normal. And so, like, you know, I'd, I'd had a couple years of not doing like my really problematic like or bottom line behavior and then it's like you got with friends and they're all like doing these little pills and like they seem normal and fine and they can do it but then I do it and I'm like 
turn into a crazy person for like two days. So it was like that kind of like I, I had my stepdad would have called that like bumping your ass. That's what they say in program. Like I had a lot of bumping my ass. And also for me, some of the times that really caused my most self-destructive behavior was when I tried to become like all the way sober from marijuana. So like I'm not like I smoke weed. That is my medicine. Like I microdose in the morning. I microdose at night. Like I need it. Like that is like and when it comes to like pharmaceutical, like antidepressants and pills and all of those things, I've tried a lot of them for a long time. I have my own relationship with them. Like for me, that is not what works. Yeah. Um, I've yet, I've never found one that like, you know, didn't make me feel just completely out of my body and not well. But I also know that for other people that suffer from depression and and anxiety, that they are just absolutely necessary. Mm. Um, So, you know, finding something that worked for me was a really big, you know, important part. But the idea of being like all the way sober in a classic sense, like in an AA speak was something that actually really messed me up actually for a little bit like that was not for my nervous system and for and especially for like the amphetamines that I did do and then because getting sober from amphetamines is a fucking thing honey I probably did it like 15 times and and I still if I wanted to could like think about how it tastes I could like once you do meth your brain's never the same Mm -hmm. like once you once your brain releases that much dopamine in one sitting like you're you're kind of your your levels are kind of fucked up for a long time and it takes a long time to like kind of get them back to normal and that's taken me like years of therapy and years of research to kind of understand so i i i don't know like when there was <clears throat> actually now that i think about it that time in the book where I was talking about having done Molly and during Game of Thrones, I went to the doctor like not long after that for my normal like three month checkup and my numbers were weird. Like I was undetectable, but my T cells were like lower than normal. And he was like, have you done like what, like anything going on? And I was like, oh, well, like two weeks ago I went out with my friends and like, I kind of like was like up for 36 hours. Cause I think there was maybe could have been a little speed in this pill. Cause it was making me feel like real nasty and sexy. And I haven't felt like that in a little bit. So like, I think maybe cause that's the thing about like Molly and like other drugs. It's like, if you don't know what's in it, you don't know what's in it. So you could think it's one thing, but like it could be another thing. So it's like kind of just dangerous. And that's the thing about Nancy Reagan. Just say no isn't enough. Cause like, you know, it's, it's, you're, yeah. you're probably going to want to try it and stuff. It's, it's more of like, just say no because like, why do we want to do that? No, what the is facts. the reason? Be and, educated. And like, there's a deeper emotional reason for why we're wanting to yeah, do that. Yeah. Why is our nervous system or our, our, our window of tolerance, like I was talking about last night, mm. why is it so, why are we so full that that's kind of, that we're wanting to tap out and go there? Yes. Why do we have to like blow out? And I mean, cause I've done Molly a lot, honey, like that fucks me right on up. You know, I mean, it's like, why do we got to get that? What are we so stressed out about that we are going that far? So it's like, just say no isn't enough. There's like, there's reasons why our parts and our nervous systems want to medicate in the way that they do. And what was your, was your pure escapism? What was it that you needed to alleviate or run from at that point? I think for a long time, it was, um, for a long time, it was like from just like my own memories of like abuse and feeling really resentful that I had like flashbacks and recall all the time. And I think that it was like, for me, it was like wanting to kind of like be like, you know, I am in control of my body. And if I have sex with like 25 people, like I liked it, like I mm. wanted to do it. Like, um, but then really like three days later, I was like, why did I do that? You know, like any of those people, I feel terrible. Like, it's like, I don't, that's not what I wanted. And then like a week later I would like do it again. So it's like, and then it's like this, re-traumatizing circle of um, 
constantly like I just was wanting to be validated through sex like that was just like what I knew and I'd known it you know my whole life so it just felt very natural to like do it there Mm. then once it was in more in my 20s like when it really hit the fan it was like my stepdad being diagnosed with cancer and being in an unhealthy work situation and being in a relationship where I didn't really feel loved and seen and that's because I didn't know how to love or see myself it was definitely not Sergey's fault so and that was really all, all what I was running from. Because mm, you, you write about <clears throat> in the book so beautifully and courageously about, you know, suffering and, and having to endure this abuse when you were a child, but without actually knowing that that's what it was for a long time. And, and most people around you after you had articulated this experience when you were four, um, everybody wanting that put in a box and for it to just sort of go away but you having a sort of understanding that that wasn't the right thing that you you did need to unpack it and look at it as hard as that might have been has that been solely through therapy later in life to really try and understand how that's impacted you and informed who you are today absolutely I mean I've been in therapy on and off since like fourth grade Mm. so I had like a couple years then and then in Tucson I had a great therapist because like shit was really going down there and I was briefly trying like before like I was briefly trying to like keep it under wraps I'm gonna be like when I was like before I'd fully gone into sex work and like dropped out of college and like had the really bad three months like right before that when my uh, family was still like helping me in that era they were like well like let's get you know a therapist and I got a little bit of good information. I mean, I was like railing lines like in the bathroom and then going in and like chatting at her for, you know, 50 minutes nonstop. But I do think I remember some bits of of wisdom from her back when I was 17. Um, And then before rehab, the first time I had a therapist who I just lied to so much because I was like cheating on Sergey at the time but like I didn't want to tell her that I was cheating on Sergey because then that would have made it true and I knew that there was a problem like I knew I was doing shit that wasn't right and I knew that it wasn't normal like I was like why am I why do I just want this like 55 year old man to like like what is going on with me um why am I doing so many things that I regret and then I remember there was like a bunch of people at my problematic work situation that were also in program and I felt comfortable to talk to them. I was like, I think I'm having like an issue with compulsivity. Like, I think I need to go to a meeting. And then when I told them what I felt like I was being compulsive there with, they were like, oh, I'm not like that. No, no, no. I mean, I, I can take you to like an AA mm. meeting, but like, I don't. So like also encountering like shame from like being like realizing I'm sexually compulsive. And like, there is a lot of shame around like finding anyone that I could, you know, kind of talk to about that. And so with that pre-rehab therapist, what I learned from that is, is like before that, I thought that therapy was just something like, you know, your parent dragged you to and there. I didn't know that there was so much value in it. The thing with therapists is, is, like, you really need to, like, interview your therapists and, like, meet, like, you know, meet one or two or three when you're in a dark time. And, like, who can you be all the way honest with? Because mm. with that therapist who I was lying to, I felt like she they were, like, older and kind of a little bit judgy. And also, like, their area of expertise was, like, not compulsivity and not, like, not young survivor of abuse. Like, it just, like, was not their area of expertise. Mm. Like, they did kind of a different thing. And they were amazing, but I didn't feel comfortable that I could be all the way open and honest with them, which was part of my own stuff. But part of it just wasn't the right fit. And if you can't be all the way open and honest with your therapist, it will not work. Mm. So in that time, I didn't really get the healing that I needed. Went to rehab twice after. Sergey and I broke up, and um, I moved back to Los Angeles, and I had a one really just like struggling year. I was like putting it back together on my own. And like I had taken that money from my own money in the book that I write about. My family was like, honey, that was a big fuck up. We're never going to really help you again. Like, so make sure that lasts. And so it took me like a year to get um, 
like the financial stability to be able to afford therapy because I didn't know how to find like sliding scale therapies. I didn't know if any of that even existed then. It does. I do know that it exists now. Like you can find therapy that will be like on sliding scale or there's like apps now as well that we didn't have then. Yeah. But I found this therapist back then <clears> that was same year as Sochi, honey, that I really was like, I had stopped the bleeding of my self-destruction enough to like start to get stable, but I had all this trauma still. And so through meeting them, and that's the same person who I still talk to now, that has really, I mean, I was in therapy like twice a week from like 2014 to like, really to when I booked Queer Eye. Mm. And then even then I was still like talking to her or seeing her like once a week. But I mean, twice a week therapy when you're paying for it yourself. Like I was... Oh, it's extortionate, but such a healthy thing to do. And there was also something that was like about me paying for it myself, like with my own money, like like not having help, like me and and really finding the value of like, I need this for me. It's Mm. like not someone else's money. It's not someone else's time. Like this is like what I need to heal myself. And that was also like really healing. But anyway, yes, Brene Brown. Uh. Yeah, so shame I really want to talk about because I've definitely had it around situations in my life that I've deeply regretted or are too painful and dark to even look back on. And when I really look at it, I think a lot of it is because of self-blame. So if you look back into, you know, other eras or even different cultures today, there's there has been previously a lot more emphasis on the gods at work. The gods at work have put this into my life or this is just what my fate or destiny was. Whereas I think in the modern world, because there's probably less, um, you know, people who are indoctrinated by religion we do fall into just thinking that we're accountable for every single thing that happens in our life. And I know there's millions of parts of my life where I feel like that and there'll be tons of people out there who feel the same, like, why did I fuck that up? Why did this go wrong? Why am I so awful at this? Rather than it just being, this is just, these are the lessons that I'm learning and this is how my life is unfurling. What's your relationship with that? Do you still have self-blame in any areas of your life or are you accepting of what has happened and you can see the reason behind those moments? That reminds me of the whole like life is life is not or life is 10% what happens to you and 90% what you make of it. Mm. Or is it life is 90% what happens to you and 10% of what you make of it? What do you think? 10% of what happens to you and 90% of what you make of it. Mm. Um, but aren't but, you just living proof of that? But also that that's like multi-layered, you know, because it's like there's privilege in there. There's like I yes. had like there. I mean, I had a family that was like that was willing to support me up into a certain point, And they definitely didn't. And that was and I know that there are a lot of people who have had much more support than me and did not make it like did not live to tell the tale, like did not survive their addiction. Um, and there's people with a lot less who are probably way more integrated and like have been way more trailblazery and and whatever. So it's like there is privilege like that's like a multi-layered question because it's it's multifaceted, but even the original question of like, you know, self-blame or like is it what I did? Did I bring this on or whatever? Either way, it just has to be compassion. Yes. Like either way, like the answer has to be like compassion and like kindness for yourself. Mm. Like no matter what the answer is, you know, because when we die, if like we get up there and it's like a seven part God that looks like, you know, it's like slivers of like Buddha and Allah and like Muhammad mm. and Jesus and like God and like whoever it's like, mm. then I guess the joke was really on us. And we were like stressing out. And like when really they were all like, we were actually just telling you to not be dicks to each other. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, but compassion is the thing. And what, what do you do when you're really 
struggling to feel that because I often will struggle to feel compassion for decisions I've made and the things that have happened. I will sit with it and I will try and I find it so hard and I'll beat myself up and be cruel to myself. Like, what do you do in those moments to tap into that compassion for yourself? Well, isn't that the million dollar question? I feel like when I am in that really, like, I call that like my critic, like my critic part. If I, sometimes I can, it can pause long enough where I'm like, why am I triggered? Like, what are you doing? Like, what, what are you going through, girl? Um, like to that critic part and like try to get some of that centered self like into my mind and like, okay, like I understand why you're being really critical, but like, it's like, you know, positive self-talk. Other times I will just be like bent out of shape about that Twitter comment or about that question or about that person for like five days. And like that critic is just relentless and when it's like that, it's more like, oh, I haven't meditated for two weeks. Like, have I not been to yoga? Like, oh, my schedule has been crazy. And it's so, the simple things. You get back to that yeah, grounding. Because it's, it's easier to stop yourself in the moments, like when your self-care game is on point. And if your self-care, but that's usually not in the moments of emergency. Mm. It's usually more of like an Ayurvedic approach, you know? Yes. Because really we're talking about like shame and stress management from like an East Coast pr- approach and a West Coast approach. Like the East Coast way would be like, or the Eastern way would be like, live your life as you know calmly and like and with like the right amount of exercise and the right amount of food that you need so that you can like prevent the stress from happening in the first place mm-hmm. versus like not looking at any of that stuff and then you have like a huge fire that you have to put out it's like harder to put out the fire when like the basis wasn't there in the first place absolutely i think it it has to go back to some sort of you know not even daily discipline but a routine you know works for you that can just get you back in your body and to stop that's certainly what i'll do is go for a run, eat sensibly, you know, and then I'll go off. Like, even when I saw you last night, I hadn't slept the night before. I hadn't eaten properly. I would had too much coffee. I was like, oh my God, I feel really out of control. And then it's like, no, tomorrow you're just going to get back to normal. And then you carry on and you do your best. And it's just like you say, having those little moments that you can tap into that you know work for you. Um, I felt so lucky that you said yes to coming on this. And I, I loved reading your book and, and like I said last night I can only describe what you do as angel work because I just think that you're doing something so so special and so magnificent by helping so many people and to alleviate shame which no one should feel and, I, and I'm excited to see what you do next so thank you for your time and just keep on trailblazing Thank you so much for your time I appreciate you so much Oh, thanks, Jonathan. What force of nature he is. I love the work that he's doing. It is so, so important. And his book, Over the Top, which is a brilliant read, is out now. To find out who's on the show next week, find us on Instagram at Happy Place Official for all things Happy Place, not just the podcast, everything we're doing with Happy Place. And you can get that episode first when you subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or on your smart home device. Go on, go get it now. Thanks again to Jonathan, to the producer Matt Hill at Rethink Audio, and to you brilliant lot for listening. I love you. Bye-bye. See you Monday. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.